Hello, everybody. Welcome to Mindful Metal Jacket. I am Joe List. I am grateful you are here or there listening. Glad you're here on Earth, alive, breathing. We're alive today. Someday we will be dead. Right now we're not. That's cause for celebration. Take a moment. Think about all your loved ones who someday will perish. And then take a moment to be grateful that they're all here and alive. Maybe call one of them, email them, text them. Well, do more than text. Oh, you could text. I suppose you could swivel. Here's what I like to do. I like to sit and be grateful for the television program, Seinfeld. It exists. They shot it. They recorded it. It streams. It's in my head. It's on the TV. God bless the TV show. God bless Larry David. Anyways, what are you grateful for today? Maybe pause, take a moment, think about what you're grateful for. Make a whole list, two things, 10 things, a thousand things, a lot to be grateful for. Anyways, I'm grateful that you're listening. Appreciate you being here. Hope you're doing well. Thought COVID was over. Seems to not be now. It's bothering me. Whatever. Can't control that. Can only control what I can control. And uh, try not to worry about the rest. Anyways, today, special day, exciting day. Good friend of mine. Maybe you've heard of him. Legend, Rich Voss. Hmm? Love Rich Voss. Uh, known him for a while. We got close over the last uh, year and a half or so. Glad I know him. Hilarious guy. One of the quickest guys. Just a, a great hang. So funny. If you haven't already, go watch The Roast of Rich Voss. It's free on YouTube. Maybe my favorite roast of all time. Absolutely hilarious. Everybody killed. He's got a podcast called My Wife Hates Me. And I think he talks about it on here. He has six albums, which seems like a little much, honestly. But um, no, I'm kidding, of course. They're great. Check them out. And uh, we had a good conversation. It was fun. We talked a lot about we talked a little bit about the industry and um, sobriety and um, panic attacks, the benefit of panic attacks, how far we've come when our anxiety started. It was a good conversation. Learned a lot. I think you'll get a lot out of it. I hope you do. hope you enjoy it. And I hope you're doing well and being as safe as possible, taking whatever actions you need to be safe. And... Um, yeah, I hope everyone's doing all right. It's a weird time, but uh, still a good time. I got some exciting things going on, and I'm trying to stay right-sized as we stay, stay in my meditation, and um, try to be connected with people. So I hope you're doing the same. Like I said, I appreciate you being here. And uh, without further ado, oh, wait, let me give you some some uh, nice quote that I talk about all the time on here, but I'll actually quote it from the wonderful Dalai Lama who said if a problem is fixable if a situation is such that you can do something about it then there is no need to worry if it's not fixable then there is no help in worrying there is no benefit whatsoever in worrying right folks so try not to worry don't worry about a thing it's every little thing it's gonna be alright Bob Marley. All right, enjoy this conversation with my friend and lover, the hilarious Rich Boss.
we're here. It's, it's, it's me and Rich Voss. Rich Voss and I. How are you doing, man? I'm doing. Uh, I'm doing good. A little burnt out from traveling, driving, and uh, you know, living life on life's terms. You know the the you know when we were off for however long with the pandemic in full blast, life was so much easier, so much more relaxing. Uh, you know, less anxiety, less traveling, less resentment, less anger, less everything, you know? Yeah, it was pretty good. I mean, and it makes you want to like recreate it. I keep going on like trips and being like, I'm going to unplug and go. But what happens to me is like day four, it, it doesn't pay to unplug completely because then you start your texts and emails start piling up. So it's like you have to like unplug, but plug for like an hour a day. Yeah. Uh, and you, unlike me, which is great, I don't know, you take vacations. You go, ah, oh, you know, because I know I'm going to go up to Maine or Boston or whatever. And take, I'm like, how do people do that? You know, Bobby also takes vacations. You know, he likes his family, though. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I, I mean, Bonnie's so busy. I get so busy, you know, and during the pandemic, you know, you, you didn't really go anywhere. Right. You know, I did, did tons of yard work. We have a house with an acre of property, but you know, like when I get so jealous, I hear you go, yeah, I'm going up to Maine and we're going to, we're going to go out on a boat or whatever. And I'm so hoping it sinks. Uh, nothing <laughs> personal just cause I, you know, my career's sinking if that does anything for you, but <laughs> Who's I mean, you got to take a bit. When's the last time you went on a family vacation? Like the three of you, you ever do that? Mm, the last time was never. Never, wow. ever. And my daughter's 14. I, when my older daughters, you know, my wife and I were divorced. I mean, we had a great relationship. We still do. You know, I saw her the other day. And I would take my kids everywhere back then when they were like everywhere from like six to four, eight to six. You know, I took them to Tahoe, Vegas, Florida so many times, the Bahamas. I mean, I was working all these places. I remember working up in Reno and uh, Nick Griffin was the middle, and he watched he watched my kids when I was on stage. Oh wow! <laughs> you know, and I a lot of middle comics did that for me. Uh, maybe I paid them or not, or just was nice <laughs> to them. Uh, so I used to always go with my daughters, but I don't. Oh well, Bonnie has taken Raina three, maybe three or four times up to Canada to see your family. So that was more of a vacation for them. And I think I went one time. It was Bonnie, myself, and Raina up to uh, Canada. All right, that's so, something. Yeah, but it's still her family. And, you know, I mean, for her, it's great. But it's, you know, I mean, it's it's away from the business, which is, you know, cool. But not like, you know, they would do stuff. They would go to the lake, this and that. I played golf with her uh, brother-in-law. I mean, but... Nothing like, you know, uh, let's just go somewhere and go in a cabin or something. See, Bonnie won't do any of that shit. She won't, like, go camping or do any of that because she grew up on a farm. She said, I grew up without running water. Why would I do that for vacation, you know? Right. Well, maybe you could go somewhere nice. I mean, go get a nice hotel. Go to Four Seasons or some shit. She's doing all right, right? Oh, she's doing great. So we're both, she's doing great. I'm doing okay. Right. Uh, she's doing, you know, it's just so fucking depressing. Like, I mean, she's executive producer on some Netflix show now, and she's creating two other shows. We have a show that her and I are creating that 
you know, it it's moving forward slowly, right? And it can just stop, or it could keep going. You know, obviously, this is yeah, of business. course. So, you know, we have the same manager, and then my manager will call. I go, oh, good, something's up, and they'll call me for for Bonnie's banking information or something. You know, hey, you know, hey, do you know the routing number to buy? Shut up! What are you calling me? I'm not her fucking business manager. I'm not her fucking assistant. You know. <laughs> it's insane how slow everything moves in this business and it's so frustrating. And I'm sure other businesses like that, Colin Quinn, I always talk to him about stuff and he always reminds me, he's like, every business is like this. We think we're special and we're not, but some of it, like I have a show I've been trying to develop for so long that I forget what it's even about. Like they'll send notes out of the blue and I'm like, I don't even they're like, what do you think of this? I'm like, I don't even remember the premise of this goddamn <laughs> show, but maybe that's the best way to get, a show to sell is like you forget like Shawshank where he goes, I don't give a shit anymore. Well, we, it's so weird how things go inside. We pitched a show years ago. I don't even know who we pitched it to. I'm sure if we dug up the treatment or the pitch, uh, you know, where comics mentor celebrities to become comics. And this was years ago. Yeah. You know how they always have mentor. And that show's being picked up by someone else somewhere from somebody. Oh God! This is ten years later. That we also, you know, we did the movie "Women Aren't Funny," and then we were going to do a sequel and a network. I don't want to badmouth any networks, but I guess they would be, you know, if you compare them to the country, they would be central of the country. Uh, so uh, they held us for a year, saying, "Yeah, yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to do, you know, the the sequel to "Women Aren't Funny." Next thing you know, now we're not in, we're not doing it. You know, we didn't shop it around for a whole year cause thinking they were going to do this. You know, the, the head of uh, the network at the time, you know, he watched our other movie twice on one weekend just to get to feel everybody. And next thing, nah, we're not doing it. It You know, and, and in this business with, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, suits or whatever you want to call them, no, no keeps their job. Whenever they say no, they they're still... They have job security. The second right. they say yes, they could get fired. Right, right. So, you know. But do you find it like heartening now with with YouTube and Patreon and this kind of do-it-yourself thing? But it's been frustrating because with a show, you have to produce. It takes a lot of money to get it done. But I like the idea that the industry sort of keeps getting less and less um, important. I mean, it sucks for them, but it seems good for comedy comedians at least artists well since uh andrew schultz and tim dylan took over the industry and joe rogan since those three are the gatekeepers now i think in this business anything you create on your own or now you do have more of an option to create things on your own you know every cd i've done and i'm not trying to make it i'm just talking about just from my personal you know, experience. I, you know, I have six CDs and I've done them all myself. So anything that gets played on Sirius, I'm producer and artist. Right. You know, uh, we made that movie Woman on Fire. So many people said, don't make, don't make a doc. You know, everybody's so negative when you're doing something. Don't do it. You know, and the movie did very well. The roast did very well. We did that all ourselves. So no one's, you know, it's very seldom that people are handing you projects and you know uh you know like colin had that 
HBO Max and he put his friends on it. You do things with your close friends. You know, stuff like that is different. But so, yeah, we can create our own opportunities. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. And the mo- how did the movie uh, come about? I mean, because I, I, it's like documentaries I've wanted to make and I keep pussing out and stuff. But that's like in- inspiring. Does that make you feel better that you're like, hey, we did make a goddamn movie? How many people can say that? Yeah, well, uh, yeah. And it played on Netflix for two years. I mean, Netflix wasn't as hot as they are now. Right. So on. It's I mean, it was Bonnie's vision, you know, and my money, uh, you know, and it was a female empowered movie. Uh, Maybe you could switch it now, though. I mean, you can come with a vision. She pays. Doesn't she owe you? She could pay yeah. for a movie you want to make now. Yeah, that's that's not bad. It's true. Uh, and the, the whole movie is me in an RV waving goodbye. Uh, <laughs> you see the family and the kid out there, you know. Uh, it, uh, what was I saying about the movie? I don't know. The It was good. She had the idea, but like also, too, I knew a lot of the comics that we got for our movie. I was friends with him. And once we got, I think Artie Lang was a, at the time the biggest comic. You know, he was on Stern and what everything. And then, you know, I was friends with Chris Rock. And yeah, not, not friends where we call each other, but you know what I mean. And I once I got him, then it was easier to get other celebrities. So when we made this doc, you know, you know anytime you went through an agent or a publicist, it wasn't going to happen. Right. Because they're not, what kind of money are they making? There's no reason for them, you know. So we we got all the talent ourselves. And in the movie, one of the main, main subjects was Christopher Hitchens, who wrote uh, the article, Women Aren't Funny or whatever, for Vanity Fair. Right. A big article. And we talked about him throughout the movie. And as in either production or, or post-production, he passed away. I'm like, ah, oh, fuck. And then in the middle of the movie, Bonnie, fucking brilliant. She thought, had a newspaper spin, you know. Uh, you know, cause throughout the movie, we kept trying to get Christopher Hitchens. Right. You know, to talk about. And then he dies and we're like, what the fuck? And she came up with newspaper spinning. And Christopher Hitchens dies. He'll do anything to avoid an interview with us. That's great. So she made it work because the whole thing could have fell apart. Or right. Not. Right. Uh, you could, You know, you have... The brains, the resources, the friends, you can get a camera. You can make whatever you want to make easily. It's just, I'm not saying you, but I think with people, the fear of starting, will I finish this? How much money will I put? I think the fear is what keeps everybody from doing anything like that. Yeah, exactly. It's scary. I mean, did you ever watch uh, Hearts of Darkness, the documentary about uh, Francis Ford Coppola making uh, Apocalypse Now? No, it's got oh, no. It's amazing. It's on like iTunes. I'm sure you can find it, but it's pretty amazing. But it's like all this. His wife was just filming him making the entire movie, and it's like way behind budget. And he funded himself, and he put his house up for sale wow. to like fund the movie. And he had like everything. And his wife was like so supportive. She's like, you know, I believe in being an artist, and if we have to go back to a smaller house, we'll go to a smaller house. It's like wild, and uh, it would took like three years, and it was a nightmare, but they got it done. And obviously, it was like this brilliant movie but sometimes you watch those and you're like that's that's the key you gotta you gotta put up all your money and then for every one of those stories i'm sure there's a hundred stories of guys that fucking spent their life savings or sold their car and made a piece of shit movie that no one ever saw oh yeah that's yeah that goes without saying but you're talented and so you're not gonna start off without pretty much a strong idea 
a strong cast or a strong whatever you have to do to make that movie. You know, you've been in the business, you're successful. You're not going to get, you know, you're not a fucking mailman that's going, uh, you know, or some, you know, electrician going, yeah, I'm going to make this dock on electrical on, uh, on fucking outlets. Uh, you know, so I think whatever Bonnie came, I, I was talking to Bonnie, Bonnie came in my room last night. That's it. That's right. Bonnie and I have separate bedrooms and that's what keeps us together. But, she goes, oh, I just watched this documentary on on female directors, how there's only like 4% of female directors, you know, that make movies and whatever, and, you know, how they're just not in the business. And it was, you know, and she said it was really good, and it was directed by a man. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. That's how a man has to make a movie now. He's got to make it about women. About, about women. Uh, but the business, you know, look, it is what it is. You know, I don't know what you've been doing comedy, what, 15 years, 16, I uh, 20, 21 years now. October 21. will be 21. I started in 2000 when I was 18. Wow. Yeah, I, wow. I'm old. So, You're old, Rich. Yeah. I started when I was 28 and I, I've been doing it 37 years or 30. Well, if I got 35 years sober, I was definitely doing it for at least two years before that. So. Now, do you take pride in how good you look and how hip and cool you are, how in shape you are? I mean, I know you're an anxiety guy, you're hypochondriac, but you're in your 60s. I mean, you're so spry and healthy and fit. It's pretty unbelievable. I don't know if anyone ever tells you this. We're always shitting on each other. I mean, you're in like unbelievable shape. Well, I, I gained like 10 pounds during the pandemic. And no, you're, you're gross not, now, but I'm saying yes. like before. <laughs> but you're not an MRI either. You know, that's all on the outside. I buy jewelry and rings and put a hat backwards and I'm crying on the inside on a daily basis. I mean, I work, you know, look, obviously I haven't picked up a drug or a drink in, in 35 years. I'm not saying I'm fucking Mr. Uh, sobriety. You know, I'm fucking bouncing off the walls, but I haven't poisoned my body with that. I haven't had red meat in over 30 years. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. And I haven't had regular meat, chicken and turkey in over two years. I And I work out constantly. I don't do cardio, but I lift, all, right. you know, at least five, six days a week. I'm, I do one or two body parts, you know, because not just only to stay in shape mentally, when you do something like that. When you work out, you feel like, hey, look, I've accomplished something today. I did something positive, you know. Uh, so, and, you know, it's so weird. I was talking to a guy in the audience and then right in the front row. And I go, how old are you? And he said 65. And he was a year older than me. And I'm going, this guy, I see people my age or I went to school with. I'm going, what the fuck happened? You know, what the, I, I and I think to myself, I go, when people look at me, I go, do I look like that like you know as a comic in your head i bet you feel like you still feel like you're 25 because you're in the same business doing the same thing you don't see the the transformation or the progression that your face makes as you grow older because it's happening so you know uh sparsely or casually or you know what i mean so you still think you're that fucking 30 year old person and 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 you're not and your body isn't doesn't you know like you know what I'm saying? Does it make sense? Yeah, definitely. Because like, you're seeing yourself every day, so it's that's what's weird when you don't see someone for a while, and then you see them, you're like, Jesus, you look fat or you're in shape or whatever. They barely even notice. But also, I think mentally, like um, experientially, you don't feel like you're aging. Your conscience isn't aging. 
just your yeah. body is I and mean, you get wiser but i still feel like the same person i felt like when i was nine yeah, uh, and, and, and 30 whatever and i still have emotion i still react that way i had a i went to maybe you can relate to this i went to starbucks i drink emperor's clouds tea it's whatever it's a green tea and they ran out of it at one starbucks so i started going to the other starbucks it's like further away in my neighborhood and eventually they ran out of it but i went the other day and i was like i'll go to that when i walk like nine blocks and they were like we're out and i almost started crying i wanted to cry like i felt like this is the child in me like i didn't get what i wanted and it felt like i guess i'll just go and i literally like pouted i was like i'll just go home and make my own fucking tea and it is you're like it's still that like child in you even if we well, age well but it's not only the child it's the addiction and the obsession compulsion right. because you set out for something and you go i'm going to get this no matter what it fucking takes right. you know if you see if you see a, a uh, say a pair of sneakers you want you're going to get those or that's your fucking mission because you know alcoholics addicts put themselves you know in, 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 you know, you're going, this is my mission. I have to, it's just like when I was drinking or getting high, I had no money. I go, I got to get high tonight. I'm going to figure out a way. This is my mission. You know, whatever it takes to get the money, not whatever, you know, and then boom, boom, boom. And I'm high. Same thing with, you know, uh, you know, whatever. I, I want that painting. I'll get that fucking painting. So it's not only obsession compulsion. It's also the instant gratification that you wanted from that fucking tea. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's like a hole, a God-sized hole, as we say. As, as my friend Bill says all the time, which I love, he's like, if you can see it, it won't fix it, which I think is so great because I'm always like, I'll buy another book. That's what I need is a book or a, a Ted Baker shirt or a, a fucking chicken parm. And I think that's going to solve my problems, but it's got to be meditation, spirituality, relationships, connecting, I guess. But I, it's it's hard. I mean, there's so many things that you want to fix yourself with that are things. It's, I uh, last week we went in and did radio. One day, uh, me and Bobby went in uh, with Norton and Sam, and it was the most fun radio. I it's unbelievable. And then I I had to leave early because I had to go. I was playing in a golf outing, but I wanted to get. I had my wedding ring, which I could use any ring for a wedding ring. I don't have a special one. And I just had to get it fixed. And I go into the Diamond District across from Sirius just to get the ring fixed. Next thing you know, I walk out with a fucking diamond bracelet. So <laughs> I get the ring fixed. Now I'm, I am leave with a, you know, uh, over $2,000 diamond bracelet. And then my wife and, and people are trashing me going, that's a, that's a fucking girl's tennis bracelet. I go, well, I don't I thought it was. So now I drive back into New York like five days later. And I, the guy wouldn't return my money. So he returned, and I had I walked out, <laughs> walked out with this big fucking ring. Hilarious! He's like Tom Brady. He wouldn't. He wouldn't return. So, and then I'm in the car going, I don't really like this ring, and I I go, I can't you. I'm, I go, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I mean, I like jewelry. I do like it, but it's not fixing anything. It's right. just a fucking band aid on this wounded fucking warrior, you know. Uh, I think when I talk to you and I see you and how I think how serene you are, you know, and I know we both have anxiety, uh, you know, you send me meditation stuff and I'm like, ah, oh, fuck. I walk into the room and I see my wife meditating, you know, and I can't, I don't do it. I just feel so high strung, you know, and, and I hear you talk or Bobby or my wife and I'm going, what the fuck? Uh, and it's just, 
my fear of starting and failing or not and be able to do it. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, no, it, it's it's hard. And it took me, it took pandemic for me to really start getting into like a daily thing. But the meditation I do, I use this waking up app. I used to use the calm app. I still have that, but it's 10 minutes a day. So, I mean, I'm like, all right, I can put 10 minutes towards this thing. And it really does um, help me. But yeah, I, I always think though, like imagine how much anxiety you'd have if you weren't doing all that exercise. I mean, that's pretty incredible. And you, you feel like you're more anxious now than you were 30 years ago or five years oh, ago or... No. Well, my anxiety, it, it started when I was like 21 and I just, I didn't know what was going on. And, and, you know, I went, my friends go, oh, we'll take you. And I will talk about this, but it gives me anxiety to talk about anxiety. Right, right. Weird. So I was so, I had distorted, I was disconnected. I would look in the mirror and I go, oh, who is that? I don't feel, I felt outside of myself, you know, outside. So my friends go, he needs vacation. We drove to Florida. Yeah. Then I got there, I go, I had to get out of here. And we drove home the next day. I was on some kind of weird, then I checked into the hospital and I'm doing a Thorazine shuffle. That's all, you know, they gave you Thorazine. They, they really weren't up on, on anxiety back then they just thought you were fucking nuts right you know and they gave you like medicine for you know being psychotic so i it, i get out and eventually it passes life da 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 get married have kids you know i get anxiety here and there but i kind of knew then when i was 40 you know when we got divorced my wife and i are separated my first wife I would have my kids in the day and she would have them at night. So I would have them in the day and then go do gigs. And my life was really revolved around my daughters, you know, picking them up from school, taking them to school, pick, whatever. Then my ex-wife would pick them up from my house or I would drop them off. Well, then my kids now were in school full time. I guess they were whatever they grew, you know, they're in, and I was bouncing off of walls. I was like 40, 40, and I had got anxiety really bad. I mean, worse. And I found this therapist. He was the best therapist I ever went to in my life. Mm. He was in recovery. He knew therapy. He, and he did work with a psychiatrist that gave me medication, which I weaned myself off of at the time after a couple of years. He was right. the best therapist, and he got me through it. Cause I was about going, I have to quit comedy. I don't, you know, it's just crazy thinking. And, uh, and now I get anxiety. It comes and goes when I'm overloaded, maybe. Right. I, but then it was going from anxiety to panic attacks. Right. So I don't really, my anxiety now I get it. Everybody, you know, I mean, look at distress. I have a wife, I have three kids, uh, you know, older daughters, but you know, mortgage fucking house, the business, and it's more from overloading and it, it passes. I always know it'll pass. Right. Right. You know? I think what, someone described anxiety so well and I fucking forget how they defined it, but it was like, we don't have faith that we don't have enough faith in what we're able to do is like, we feel like we won't be able to uh, respond when something happens. We, I think we re raise the level of the stakes of how bad something will be. And we lower the um, idea of how good we are at responding to things. So 
the consequences are heightened and our abilities feel lowered. But yeah. what's what's helped me so much, I mean, the best thing that ever happened to me was I had a panic attack while doing Conan. I was like literally right before and during. Oh. And I was like freaking out, like shaking. And I had this like tunnel vision. My heart was racing. And then it went fine. And my therapist was like, this is great. He's like, and I also had a full set at the St. Louis Funny Bone for 45 minutes. I was fucking having this horrible panic attack and killing too. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, your act is just like, it's, it's yeah. up there. It's like a whatever. And like autopilot. And my therapist is like, that's great. He's like, think about that. He's like, you had your worst nightmare come true, a panic attack on TV. And it was great. Nobody even noticed. And you got through it. So it's like, you have to remember, like, you will survive everything. Like anxiety is is lack of faith that you'll be okay at handling something. Well, too, I guess the most, that's, that's a great story, too, because, I mean, that happened to me twice. Let me do real I was doing Keenan, and, you know, the show was like probably at 7, 8, 7 p.m. to tape, and let's say, they had me there at 1 o'clock. So now I'm in my dressing room for five hours, bouncing off of fucking walls, just a fucking wreck, going, I'm going to fucking eat it. It's an urban audience. Then they call me to go on. I'm backstage, and it was t- for 45 minutes. I s- stood behind the curtain. I go, I'm, d- I'm done. And I walked down. I started bombing. And I said to the audience, uh, you know, look, you got in here for free. You know, you want to see Martin Lawrence spend a hundred bucks from free. You get me. So shut your face. And I went to plan B and then I had the worst anxiety attack. We were at the Trump roast and I'm not trying to top your Conan thing. I'm just saying those big pressure situations. Like I always believe. Okay, luckily on last comic, you had to go one-on-one with somebody the first season. You, right. And no one ever picked me. And I thank God because I knew I would melt down and piss my pants. Like <laughs> reality-wise in the house, I can handle any of that, you know. Right. It's fucking reality. But I always feel like I'm going to walk on stage and this is going to be the one that falls apart. And, you know, even when I, we were doing Tough Crowd, you know, I did so many episodes. Right before I go on, I'd have to go to the bathroom. Three, four times I'm taking a piss, you know, just – and that last piss, I go, okay, I'm good now. I'm normal. I'm nervous, right. you know. Uh, during my roast, I didn't do it, but during my roast, I mean, this is, this was a big fucking roast. I go, maybe I should buy diapers and just get like a uh, fucking, <laughs> you know, some mail. To- you get so nervous sometimes, and you and and it's something, you know. This business, like, oh, you do Conan or whatever. These are the rewards for working so hard at what you do. Right. And then when you get rewarded, you're going, I'm fucking, this is, a, I'm a mess. I'm going to fail, whatever. Yeah, you well, know? that's scary because it is scary because your, like, dream is coming true. It doesn't make sense. You're like, this is all I wanted. And when you get there, you're like, fuck. And then the stakes are so high because it's like you dreamed about being on TV or doing this thing and succeeding in that situation. Yeah. So the stakes of not doing well are huge you're like oh my god this is crazy i mean so many people i think the majority of people and i don't mean this in a negative way it's it's sad or whatever don't even pursue the thing they wanted to do as a kid so when you get to this point and you're standing there and you're like oh this could go bad my it's like you kind of alluded to earlier my anxiety with doing tv is my the, the i'm anxious about being anxious my fear when i did like letterman and all these shows is 
I was worried that I'd have a panic attack and I wouldn't be able to go out and it's a live show. And then the line producer has to say, Hey Dave, he's not coming out. That was like my big fear is that I'd be, you know, shaking in the back. But what helped me when I did Letterman and that's when I was, I was so anxious, but I was like newly sober, which helped. But I kept just saying, okay, right now I'm just sitting in the green room. That's all I'm doing. There's nothing to be nervous about. I'm just sitting here. And then it was kind of like, all right, right now I'm just on an elevator. I'm just standing on the elevator and then I was like, now I'm just standing here. I'm not doing anything. I'm just standing here. And then when I get out there, I'm like, okay, well, now I'm just telling jokes. Yeah. And it ended up being great. But it is, it's like a sickening feeling. You're just like, oh my God, I can't do this. And I don't know if you have this. There's like that voice in your head, like, what are you crazy? You shouldn't be. You can't do this. What are you doing here? Why did you tell them that you could do this? This is, this is out of, this is crazy. <laughs> it's so, yes. Well, of course you have that. That voice and that voice is my, you know, parents going, oh, you're you're not shit, you're worthless, you're whatever. That voice is, you know, right. stuck in your head from from childhood, going, you know, why can't you be like your cousins? Why can't you be like your brother? You know, uh, so yeah, the scariest. Well, to the scariest thing, I think I did. I thought it was going to be Def Jam being white, the first white guy on it. Yeah, black people are scary. That, no, I mean, just doing a TV show that no white people have ever done after five years. Of course. And it was, but when the Trump roast, okay, after the Friars broke up from uh, Comedy Central, they still had their roast at the Hilton. So I had some, you know, things were going well at with my career then. So I was on this roast at the Friars and the roast in Trump. So, you know, everybody from New York. There was 2,000 people in the audience at the Hilton, you know, 1,500, you know, every club owner, every agent. Uh, Opie and Anthony were there. My Bonnie, and this is when I'm dating her, right. sitting with Opie and Anthony, my father, my mother, anybody that meant anything in New York was in this one. So the first act goes up, this guy, Stewie Stone, an old Friars comic. Joe, he, he's killed like I've never seen anybody kill on a roast. I mean, he slaughters. And I'm sitting on a day just going, I got to get the fuck out of here. I'm going to oh, end God. my career right now. I, and I was smoking there, so I walked backstage. And I, I go, I got to fucking, I got to leave. I got to sneak. Then Susie Esmond went on, destroyed. <laughs> Destro I go, my career's over. I'm going to bomb so fucking bad. <laughs> you know? And... Then luckily, uh, I think Belzer went on and, you know, right. and I was sitting next to Isaac Hayes. He, you know, there was all these people on the dais. I'm sitting next to Isaac Hayes and he's going, you're going to be fine. Relax, relax. You know, and this is fucking Isaac Hayes. So Regis Philman was the host. It was a, a month, a month after Rodney Dangerfield died. Okay. So I walk up and I go, big hand for Regis. I go, originally they asked Dangerfield to host this, but he said I'd rather be dead. Right? That's great. <laughs> Pretty much silence. Really? <laughs> yeah, it didn't kill. Oh, I thought I was going to say it killed. No, it didn't kill. And I did another joke. I said, don't fuck with me. I'll bring Belzer back, right? Because he fucking ate it. Yeah. <laughs> and then I started getting him. And... Out of a one to ten scale, I I guess I had a seven, maybe. Yeah. But my jokes 
tour of whatever were quoted in all the papers. Oh, that's you nice. You know what I mean? It's yeah. so weird. You know, and matter of fact, one of the jokes was just quoted in Michael Cohen's book, uh, Trump's Ex-Lawyer. Yeah, yeah. I said that the reason Trump, and this is 15 or 16 years ago, I go to reason Trump puts his names on his buildings so the banks know which ones to take back. So <laughs> Good joke. Yeah, thank you. So that, that was how many years ago this guy was <laughs> was having this stuff taken back. But, and, and this isn't, I'm just trying to uh, reiterate what you're saying, that the fear, the fear of something you do on a nightly basis is, and you're going, what the fuck? Like Bonnie does TV. It's it's nothing. She go. She's done three Letterman's, uh, Fallon, Colbert, all of them. She just goes out and her jokes are boom, boom, boom. You know, and and but she used to have a fear of working the clubs. I had no fear of clubs. I'd walk out in any club, but I had a fear of late night. You know, just going. Oh, this is it's too scary. And it's all the anxiety that we put on ourselves. Yeah. First of all, it's fascinating. I was just talking about this with my buddy Ronan about it's fascinating how some people have anxiety about some things and not others. Like I've been an anxious guy and a hypochondriac my whole life, but turbulence does nothing for me. Like my wife and, and I have friends that like they lose them, but they think they're going to die genuinely. They're like freaking out. And I've been on a, a, a private flight where it's just, I mean, the plane is like doing this and I just have, it's nothing. It's uh, turbulence is nothing to me. But then if I get a fucking pimple, I'm like, I, I got to go to a dermatologist. <laughs> I got AIDS. This is crazy. And it's, it's, it's just interesting what, you know, can make people anxious and whatnot. But for me, I think a lot of it is anxiety of, there's some theory that some guy had that all fears boil down to fear of death and fear of being alone, which my therapist doesn't agree with, but I think it's at least interesting. But I, I guess with comedy, it's like, oh my God, I fear that I'm going to bomb so hard that everyone's going to be like, he's a fraud, he sucks, fuck him, and no one will ever want to be friends with me again, I guess. Yeah, but I don't think fear of being alone because throughout we throughout our addiction or whatever, we've been alone I have no problem. I don't think of being a, I think it's fear, fear of failure, fear of, you know, like you say, he's, he's a fraud. He's not worth, you know what I mean? Right. Uh, I, I, I think that's pretty much, uh, I don't know about fear of being alone. Uh, uh, because deep down, you always know you have friends somewhere or family, right? You know, uh, Fear of death, I get that. Fear of death and hypochondria is, I mean, I've had more fucking EKGs on the road than I, I, every, I thought I landed in England when we were working in England. I go, I'm having a heart attack. And I went and got an EKG. Uh, in, in Portland, I had a MRI on my head. I was getting headaches so bad in Portland. Then I got an MRI and I said, everything's okay. And I realized two days before I hit my head on the wall, you know, I go, maybe that's, uh, so. Now, I when even, did, when did that start for you? When did you start? Did you have that as a kid? Cause I had it as like a kid and it's oh, been my did. whole life. Now I think I had it as I was getting older and feeling pains I never felt before, you right. know, 
I've always had back pain. I herniated a disc years ago, and I've lived with it on and off. And it only hurts usually when I if I gain a little weight because your stomach muscles hold your back together. Right. So, or if I was walking on a cement floor. So as you get older, you get different pains, and you're thinking in your you know I I get stomach pains. I have a bad stomach at times. So I, I've got, gotten upper endoscopies throughout my fucking hypochondriac career. Me too. Uh, you know, upper endoscopy. I I get colonoscopies whenever you're supposed to. You know, you get to a certain age, you have a colonoscopy. Uh, and, you know, either you have polyps, they take them out. You come back in three years or no polyps, you come back in five years. But the stomach problems, you know, you know, I, they just come out of nowhere. And I'm like, oh fuck! And this, it's it's a nightmare. Uh, back problems. I never, you know, I don't. I just do it. I just bought a machine to stretch, you know. And I got an inversion table. So I guess the the hypochondria came as I got older, and as new diseases came along. Right. I remember. I remember there was a comic. I don't know if you knew him or you. He died of meningitis. Jerry Red Wilson. No. So he was on his. He was on his way to become pretty famous and he died of meningitis then i heard if you have meningitis there's two kinds of meningitis spiral and one kills you and one just gets you sick he had no one to kill and if you get meningitis you can't touch your chin to your chest <laughs> like that because your spine swells up okay so after i heard that for like fucking weeks i'm walking around that and i did a bit i did a bit where people are looking at me and people are going i think he thinks he has meningitis right <laughs> and I'm around. so that's why i try not to go online and read about diseases or what's new or right i got the best aids test story i talk so much i'm sorry if i'm talking too much but no no it's good uh you know, back in the day, everybody took AIDS tests, especially after you got sober. You yeah. Know, I shot dope a couple times. Yeah. You know, and so I went for my AIDS test at my doctor's. And whenever I went to my doctor, they would call me and say, everything's okay. Whatever I, for whatever, blood tests, cholesterol, physical, they would call and say, oh, everything's okay. So I took my AIDS test. Then I get a call. They go, this is Dr. Stone. Can you come in tomorrow? And my heart dropped, right? I'm going, what the fuck? Every, they always say everything. He goes, you, I go, why do you want me to come in? He goes, well, your tooth came in. We want to put your tooth in. It was my dentist. <laughs> <laughs> it was my dentist. I just heard doctor. That's fucking hilarious. <laughs> That's great. You know who got a false positive AIDS test? Jason Kanner, your, your, old, your old pal. No. Yeah. And um, I think it went for like a couple of days. They were like, yeah, it came up positive and everything. Yeah, it's insane. Did he lose his fucking mind? I think so, yeah. But I think it was like short. But there's still, I think they do give you a speech like this could be a false positive, and, that, and that's oh. definitely a possibility because like heterosexual men not using, it's like really yeah. unlikely, especially now. Obviously, back then it was a different story. But um, well, I'll go ahead. There's a golfer, John Rahm, that... Yeah, I know John Rahm. ...who tested positive for covid Oh he right! Was, he, he, at the he was killing at the tournament. Yeah, he was up he was like gonna, ten strokes or something. He, he was he was up six strokes going into the final day, which is 
you know, unless you have a total fucking meltdown. Right. But then two weeks later, he won the U.S. Open. But he tested again for the Olympics. He just tested positive for COVID. How I thought you can only get it like one time. Yeah, I thought you had the antibodies for like nine months. But this disease, I, I have no idea what the fuck. Some people are deaf. Some people get the sniffles. Is this like some people have like a bad back now? I, I don't understand the thing at all. It seems insane. But now, how did you do with COVID? Were you freaking out about COVID the whole time? Because everyone asked me, and I was fine. I don't have that kind of well, hypochondria. I, I was taking my temperature sometimes six, seven times a day. I would take it then. Five minutes later, take my temperature. I got four thermometers up in my room, uh, different thermometers. One, but one that was giving me good readings, so that's the one I started using. Uh, and my, you know, you're supposed to be ninety eight point six, and I'm always, I'm always around ninety seven point five, ninety seven point six, right? Which is okay. One. Yeah. Then one day I did, took my temperature, and it was ninety nine point two, which is ninety eight point six and ninety nine point two isn't a big difference. No. I started freaking out. I go, I'm dead. I'm dead. Look, it went up points. <laughs> it went up percentage of, you know, three, uh, 98.6, 97.2, it's six, uh, whatever, uh, less than, uh, one degree, uh, one degree. And I was, so I was taking my temperature all the time, but it didn't stop me from going to like home Depot or Lowe's or Walmart or the supermarket I did whatever, you know, I brought my own mic. Now I don't bring my, my wife's like, bring your mic. And I, you know, I got vaccinated with Johnson Johnson, which everybody's going, ah, that's stunk. So, you know, of course I get the fucking white. It's like work. I don't even work the A clubs anymore. I work the B or C clubs. And I, now I got to get the B or C vaccination. It's, you know, it's like fucking what the fuck? Well, you can get what? the other one. You can add the other one. No, I called Dr. Steve and he said the, uh, uh, they haven't decided whether you can take another vaccination. They're, oh, they're waiting. They're waiting. The what is it? The CDC or whatever it is. I have no idea. CVS. You know, I don't know. I can't keep track. <laughs> yeah, F, uh, yeah, whatever. Uh, uh, FDA and the uh, Center of Disease Control, right? Yeah, CDC. CDC yes, yeah. has they they haven't made uh, a final conclusion. Or an answer whether you should take a vaccine again, because okay. I would if I if they say go take another vaccine, you can do it. I believe me, I'd be on fucking line. If I can get them every month, I would do it. <laughs> Are you kidding me? If you <laughs> fucking oh shit, I, I can't play golf. Today. I got to get a vaccine. I would fucking get vaccinated every day. I'm not some anti-vaxxer or any of that bullshit. I don't give a fuck. I'd rather you know. And and I I've talked with you know comics that are kind of lean very much to the right and there's ones that lean very much to the left I, i'm pretty much in the middle as a, and one guy goes well I, i'm not taking it you know there hasn't it's not uh fda approved it's not shut up shut the fuck up you you'll fucking go eat in a restaurant where they're fucking sneezing in the back room on your food and fucking you know whatever you know you'll take fucking uh, bare aspirin or you'll do this or do that but all of a sudden this vaccine oh you know shut up Right. Take the fucking vaccine and quit fucking putting everybody else's life at risk. Yeah, it's it's very frustrating. But let me let me ask you this, because I was thinking about this the other day and I want to see what you feel. Don't you think a lot of it, some of our anxiety, not a lot, maybe a, a lot of it's the way we grew up or whatever. And but 
we have so much downtime as comedians. Like I'm, I'm just sitting around the house. Like the other day I'm working on this movie, which is exciting and also anxiety inducing, but you know, we had to scout locations. We're all in a van and we're going from one place to the other and you have to visualize what it's going to look like. And I'm like, well, we could use this. And I just feel like good. I'm, I have a job and where you're focused on this one thing. It's the same with like playing golf. When I, when I golf or play tennis, whatever, I feel good especially hanging at the cellar when we're all hanging out. I feel yeah. pretty good. Cause we're bullshitting. It's just as comics, we have hours and fucking hours to like ruminate. I'm like, sometimes I feel better. If, if I worked at Starbucks, I'd be healthier mentally. Well, yeah, that's true because an idle mind, you know, uh, and when I had the worst anxiety of my life, when I was like 40, like I said, I used to, I would go out and buy old furniture and, up in my horrible apartment, I would strip it and refurnish it just to keep busy. Right. And I would strip it down, sand it, refurnish it. Uh, I try to keep as busy as I can. You know, luckily, I have a house with a, a lot of property, so I could do something outside. I could work, you know, doing, you know, we built a shed. Bonnie did most of it, but I was the foreman. Uh, you know, I told her what to do even though she read the directions. Uh, so I try to keep busy. I, I It's hard for me. Like before I got married, I used to read all the time. I haven't even finished her book that she wrote six years ago. Uh, I read it for you. Huh? I read it. I heard, I heard it's pretty good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. It's hard to read about your wife, you know, fooling around with other comics. Anyhow, so it's busy. you're right. We have so much time. So when I go on the road, I know I'm going to work out in the gym. If it's nice and it's warm, I'm going to play golf to get the fuck out of the hotel. You know, right. if worse comes to worse, you know, uh, you know, I'll drive. I see also too everywhere I used to go, I used to rent a car. It was 200 bucks, whatever. Yeah. Now car rentals are like 500 bucks for three days. Cause all the car companies sold their fleets during the pandemic. Cause they were right. renting them. So, you know, uh, you know, I, I, whatever, I haven't been on the road where I've needed a car yet, but I will be, you know, I'm going to Florida in a couple of weeks. I'm going, you know, I guess we'll do it, but whatever. I, yeah, I try to figure out a way, you know, and I'm sure you read a lot. You seem like you read a lot. Yeah, I read so, I'm reading a book right now called The Body Keeps Score, which is about this kind of stuff, about trauma and how, you know, and I think we might have talked about it before. Maybe you read it, Healing Back Pain. Did you ever read that book? Oh, no, the Stern talked about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's it's great, but it's about like how a lot of, you know, pain is like repressed anger and stuff like that. And I'm reading this book called How the Body Keeps Score, and it's about trauma and how like the body is still reacting to trauma that it feels like it's facing. I'm only like four pages into this one, so I can't talk too much about it, but, but yeah, I'm, but reading, reading helps. And that's where meditation to me is helpful because meditation helps and reminds you to like recognize that it's just thoughts that our thoughts are just thoughts and it's uh, not reality. Yeah. I mean, I used to read, I wasn't a big self-help guy. I would start them like, you know, the road less travel or whatever fucking books I had back then. But then when I was reading, I loved nonfiction, you know, you know, the book on Sammy Davis Jr. or, or J. Edgar Hoover or any mobster, you know, I mean, those were, you know, the hothouse about uh, 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 prison uh, Leavenworth, 
you know, so I was reading books that weren't helping me in any possible way, but they right. were fucking fascinating. You know, right. I mean, Sammy Davis Jr., what a fucking amazing story this guy had. He was working with the Rat Pack and he wasn't even allowed to stay at the fucking hotel. Right. They, they were working at. He couldn't even stay in the hotel he was working at. And, you know, and Hoover, you know, had dirt on everybody. I mean, he was, you know, he was a computer of fucking dirt. And then when the Kennedys took office and Robert Kennedy was attorney general, you know, Hoover used to have a direct line to the president. And then, you know, I, these are like the four things I know in life. That's why I'm talking about them right now. You know, that's like, you know, if I go on the podcast right after this, I'm going to talk about, you know, John Douglas, who started profiling for the FBI because I read his books, you know, Mindhunter, Journey into Darkness. And, and, and I know John Douglas, you know, one case in Atlanta with the killers, how they caught the guy. And, you know, I'm like a fucking loop. I'm like Groundhog's Day with my knowledge because I only know like four or five things. But I'll fucking, I'll bring them up and they'll go, man, that fucking dude is smart. How did he know that, all of that? But I just, I only know about five things. I, so. rel I relate to that too. I'm like, I, I know a little about a lot of things. So anyone that talks about something, I can be like, well, you know, the 72 Corvette, that's when they got rid of the steel bumper. And people are like, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> it's like something that one guy told me or whatever. And uh, yeah, I know a couple of vice presidents or something and you just throw it out there and people are like, all right, this guy. Yeah, I, I went to the Reich Museum and uh, what's his name's painting? Uh, uh, Night Watch by Rembrandt. Right. Yeah. Was was painted in 1642. And, uh, you know, someone cut it and they refurbished it. And I go, you know, and I, and I go, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I like I think Rembrandt was the best to me. I mean, Van Gogh stuff. And I'll, you know, pretend I know about art. I know three fucking things. I know nothing, you know. And, uh, you know, and then I always saw an M.C. Escher fucking reference in it who did the drawings that were optical illusions, like the, the waterfall was going down, but it was going up, you know, you know, and I'll throw a Peter Max or a Andy Warhol fucking thing out real quick. Yeah, fucking Andy in that 15 minutes, uh, you know, <laughs> so, but then, then if they ask more, like even on fucking on Open Anthony, they, you know, I said, like when I play golf, if I don't want to tell them I'm a comic because I don't want to deal with a bunch of fucking. Right. Of course. I tell them I, I, I was an FBI profiler because I read a couple of books. It's hilarious. <laughs> and then on Open Anthony, uh, they were asking me all the and they just I they, uh, you know, busted me on what a fraud I am. <laughs> That's like, I, I've said this before, but I'm like, I, I memorized, you know, there's to be or not to be. That is the question. I just remembered the next line is uh, whether tis nobler in thy mind to suffer. But if you just do the next line that nobody knows, it makes it seem like, you know, the whole speech. That's the Gettysburg address, right? <laughs> no, it's Shakespeare. Oh, it's um, to be or not to I... be. That is the oh. question, oh, whether yeah. tis nobler in thy mind to suffer. <laughs> and it's like Hamlet, I think. I don't even know if it's Hamlet or Macbeth. It's one of the two. Oh, wait, you know what? Before the Gettysburg Address, the guy was practicing and he said he was doing Shakespeare uh -huh. backstage. Oh, Which, wow. What's the Gettysburg Address? Oh, wait, God. isn't Gettysburg Address is Lincoln? Link, right? You're like about, the guy, <laughs> like that's Abraham Lincoln. That's like there was a guy, um, Ken Reed, a comic named Ken Reed, who had a great joke in Boston, where he said, um, 
Elvis, he's like, talks about the Elvis song where Elvis says, you know, someone once said all the world is a stage. And he goes, yeah, it was Shakespeare, you fat hick. <laughs> he's like, someone once said this. And you're like, yeah, William Shakespeare. It's not like some random asshole said it. Um, it was a funny bit. but I can't believe everybody that listens to this now is going to bring up that I said Shakespeare was to get his burger dress. Every negative troll, every piece of shit on the, because I made one little mistake. No, these are good. We have good fans here. This is a small, uh, loyal following. It's only like 2,000 people, and they're they're very loyal, and they're kind. I mean, they're here because they have uh, mental problems. All those (laughs) troll people, they wouldn't sit through two minutes of this. They're like, this is horseshit. He's a cuck, fucking liberal, whatever. So uh, these these are good people. They... You know, it's so funny, the politics now, you know, because both sides have been hijacked by extremists. Completely. And, you know, my wife is from Canada, so she's more liberal. And I'm, 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 I'm more in the center. But people go, if you're, like, being in the center, people are mad, madder if you're more in the center than if you pick a side. Right. Like, you know, they, they go, oh, fuck you. You know, uh, you know, if gay people get married, I don't give a shit. I don't get abortion. It's up to her, not up to me. You know, all of that shit, you know, uh, and I just, you know, uh, I don't fall into it because none of them give a fuck about you. They don't give a fuck. You know, all these all these Trump supporters. And look, I'm sure he did some great things. They should have taken his Twitter away. But. You know, he's throughout history has screwed the the blue collar worker many times. Of course. They love him. It makes no sense. You know, uh, you know, Biden, you know, I don't think he even knows he's in Washington. <laughs> you know, he might think he's in Washington state for all I fucking know. It's all bunch of bullshit. It's either you like Target or Walmart, whatever. And they're both don't give a fuck. They're both big corporations. And that's all politics is. It's a business. It's a corporation. No, it's so, wild. It's it's very teamy. And it's funny because I'm like uh, uh, Manny, who obviously, you know, from the start of the seller, he had a quote. I never met him, but I he had a quote that has been quoted back to me that he said, I was a, I was a liberal in the 60s and a conservative in the 90s. And I never changed an opinion. That's yeah. how I feel now where I'm like, I was like a liberal in the nineties. I feel like I'm a moderate now without yeah. changing a single opinion. Same but I hear from people on the left and I'm like, what? I know. Yeah. I'm like, I, oh, mean, I don't know. What the fuck? The far left is, is killing freedom of speech, killing it, going it. And comics that go after other comics material are the worst. Uh, well, that's the lowest kind of, form of what kind of comic. Look, you can disagree with how, how a comic behaves or their lifestyle, which is none of your business anyhow, unless it affects you. But once you go after your material, you're really going after your own material because, you know, once once comics aren't allowed to say, this is the last place on earth where the First Amendment really works for you as much as it possibly can, you know, until you become famous and they want to bring you down for right. whatever. And it makes no sense when a comic, you know, and, and and even if I don't like a comic, whenever a club owner asks me about this comic or that, I go, I don't know, take a look at him. I would never take work out of somebody's, you know. Of course, yeah. It's not my business. Uh, the other day I was in uh, the bagel place and some lady from my town, whatever, and, and, and this is the best answer I could have came up with. 
the guy she was sitting with goes, do you know Uncle Floyd? Yeah, I, uh, yeah. he was a guy that was on TV years ago. And I go, yeah, I know him. I don't know him personally. I know him. He said, do you think he's funny? I go, do you think he's funny? He goes, yeah. I go, well, then that's all that matters. <laughs> right. well, you don't know me. You don't need my dumb opinion. Right. But uh, comics, man, just, you know, like they say in fucking recovery, you point the finger, you're pointing three back at yourself. It's such an old hack, you know, but everybody's worried about everybody else's stuff. Shut up. Yeah, no, it's it's an epidemic and, and not just comedy, but everything where everyone seems like they uh, should have some control or say over what other people are doing. And nobody seems to just ignore things they don't like anymore. It's very frustrating. But yeah, and I have to. It, it's hard because I'm like, I don't want to go too far into it because then like now you're pulled into it. Like yeah. I was looking at a, a, you know, a Twitter thing, which I try to avoid. And and somebody was going on this long Twitter thing and then somebody else tweeted at them going, why don't you just shut the fuck up and leave it alone? But I'm like, well, now you're in it. Now you're doing what they're doing. That's the <laughs> yeah. problem is you think in your mind, I'm like, maybe I need to tell this person to stop being so crazy on Twitter. But once you do it, you're in that fucking pit as they well. In. They pull you in. I just looked on Twitter uh, last night or yesterday afternoon. This guy I'm playing golf with, he goes, you know, you blocked me on Twitter. I go, well, you probably said something, uh, you know, or I read it wrong because I, I screw up and I unblocked him. But uh, you can look at how many people you blocked on Twitter. And I blocked 2,198 people on Twitter so far. You got to show me where to find it because I've, I've blocked <laughs> hundreds, uh <laughs> hundreds. I had a guy the other day after a show come uh, up and he said hey i'm a, I'm a comedian you blocked me on instagram because i commented that i hate you and you suck but i was just kidding and oh. i went oh okay that's all right and then we kind of had this awkward thing where he was like so and i was like all right like take it easy like that's it i'm, I'm like i don't know what you're trying to do because you you said you hate me and i suck so i blocked you so i appreciate the apology or whatever but that's yeah. the end of it. I'm not like, okay, let, let's be friends then. I'll yeah. let me unblock you and we'll be friends now. I'm just kind of like, yeah, you shouldn't do that and take care. That's the end of the it's, conversation. It's so crazy that these young new com or whatever, this one guy comic was going after me and me and somebody else, uh, they stink, they're funny, whatever. And like that, I would have never when I started like gone after like, you know, uh, anybody, you know, Bob Nelson, Rob Bartlett or Richard Jenny, Richard Jenny, stay. What are you kidding me? I've been doing it for a year and a half. Shut up. I, right. That's what the problem with the fucking internet. It gives people a platform that shouldn't have a platform. Shut the fuck up. You know, comics are saying you've been doing it, you know, for fucking two weeks. Your opinion means nothing. Shut up. I'll make a call. You won't work anywhere in New York. I like I like that we're just coming apart at the end of this mental health podcast. <laughs> but we gotta live and let live. And I'm easy does it. I'm gonna block you after this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, this will never be released. But um, <laughs> no, this has been great. I've really enjoyed it. I hope. Uh, I think I think people will get a lot out of it. I think it's been good. I, I appreciate you doing it. I'm just a yapping fuck, a lonely yapping fuck that sh that, that knows four things. <laughs> I'm gonna write a bit about that. That was kind of funny, right? No, it's really funny. <laughs> if nothing else, you got a bit out of this. I know. I think it's a yeah. funny bit. Uh, and the, yeah. and Shakespeare did the Gettysburg Address. Which yeah, is... what a fucking idiot! How dumb am I? How oh, really? He didn't graduate. Hey, we kind of knew that when he said the Gettysburg Address. That's when we bailed. Anyhow, listen. Thanks for having me. 
No, it's great. Plug uh, what, what's what's your podcast and everything? Oh, my podcast is a. Uh, uh, my wife hates me on uh, Laugh Button or whatever. My wife hates me. Actually, we're doing one today. Uh, you know, richvoss.com is my website. All my dumb dates. And and the roast. Oh, Voss Roast. It's free best. on YouTube. It's the best. It's my favorite thanks. roast ever. It's so fucking Thank you. good. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I've left my mark in this business. Anyhow, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, it, everything is cool. Thanks. I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to go work out now. Come to think yeah. of it. I'm going to do it too. Let's go work out. All right. Yeah. Thanks, man. I appreciate right, it. Mindful Metal Jacket is hosted by comedian Joe List. Produced by Joe List. Edited by Matt Kleinschmidt. Executive producers Robert Kelly and Matt Kleinschmidt for the Laugh Button Podcasts.